The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. What does it mean to be present, to try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past? It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray, and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. Welcome to the conversation today. I always appreciate anyone finding me in the vast jungle of choices for podcasts. So I really do appreciate it. And I wanted to start today. If you know me, you're going to know, oh yeah, this article would definitely interest Diane. So I wanted to share an article that I came across in USA Today a few days ago that caught my attention. And it said, new study offers insight into what people experience when nearly dying during resuscitation. So I'm thinking, what? NDE? Okay, I want to find out about this. Well, as I started reading the article, the study's author is a guy named Dr. Sam Parnia, and he's an author and associate professor at NYU's Department of Medicine. And he wrote the book, What Happens When We Die, that I read back in 2005. And I got to talk to him when I was at Hay House Radio. So I knew this was a good source for the article because this guy is really smart. He knows what he's talking about. And the article revealed some interesting things about this study. So researchers interviewed 28 of the 58 people who lived to tell about their near-death experiences in this study. And four in 10 of those that survived recalled memories or perceptions of consciousness. And these memories included separation from the body, observing events without pain or distress, and a meaningful evaluation of their actions and relationships. And this study clarified these experiences that they're different. They differ from hallucinations or illusions or delusion dreams or something that was induced by performing CPR. So it was really interesting that they were really giving credence to these experiences that people have shared in many NDEs that I've read about as something that's really happening. And also the study contradicts the idea that the brain always suffers permanent damage when the heart stops. Dr. Parnia is saying that that's not true. And overall, he said the research may also guide the design of new ways to restart the heart or prevent brain injuries and also holds implications for transplantation. So there's really interesting things going on in, in, uh, studies of of near-death experiences. So more research is coming out that shows that what people are reporting are not just hallucinations. So it's pretty interesting stuff. So I just wanted to share that with you leading into my guest today, because it all kind of ties in, as you will see. So my guest today is Jacob Cooper, and his first book was called Life After Breath, And he shared his own NDE that happened when he was three years old. And he was forever changed after that experience. 
And he spent years trying to process what happened and the lessons he brought back. And in his latest book that I've been spending some time with called The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, he further examines the near-death experience and how he's been able to work with the information now that he's older and how it's affected his life trajectory from childhood to now. And Jacob's a really interesting guy. He holds a master's degree in social work. He's a licensed clinical social worker, certified Reiki master, certified hypnotherapist, and he specializes in past life regression therapy. So I want to welcome him to the podcast. So thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Diane. It's great to to be a return guest here on your platform. And I I love the intro. That was wonderful. And you (laughs) shed light on a great point that near-death experiences are really getting out there a lot more. And I have a lot of credit for the medical community of that advancement of the incubational period of life and death and what they're able to do in their advancements. Yeah, there's been some interesting research. And this guy, have you ever heard of Doc, Dr. Sam Parnia? Yeah, no, rings rings a bell. Definitely have heard the name thrown out. Yeah. So, um, thank you for he's, his work. He's done a lot of research. I mean, it, the first time I read some of his work was was back in 2005 and I had done an interview with him on Hay House Radio and he did this really interesting study where he had things put up on the ceiling like symbols and words that people that were having a cardiac event and and the 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 idea was that the, the people that were experiencing this would be able to see what was on the the ceiling and report back and I guess hmm. some people did I'm trying to remember that actual study and, and what happened, but he's been doing this for a long time. So I thought it was interesting, the, uh, the information that he's sharing. So, and it, it kind of, it ties in with your book because it's a great continuation, this book here from what you were sharing in Life After Breath, and you really go deeper into how the near-death experience that you had as a child expressed itself in your life growing up, right? Because you were only three when this happened. And I was just wondering that, this is going to be a, a lifelong pursuit, right? A lifelong process for you to really understand everything. Do you think like, like you'll always be finding new things? Oh yeah. And there's two ways to look at that much like anything else in life. It could either say, Oh my God, it's so exhausting making sense of this. Or you could say how exciting I get to evolve, understand, grow, um, you know, as a person. And this gift is something that just didn't happen one moment, but every day is another opportunity to, better understand and fully cultivate the experience for myself. And then so I could more importantly give to other people. Right. So it's just always going to be, it will be revealing itself, right? Like peeling the onion, there'll be more to find out or more to understand from the experience because to kind of jump into that, you know, in the book, you said that it's really difficult to process what you experienced and saw, first of all, because you were so young when it actually happened, right? And then second of all, that there really aren't words or language to describe what you saw and felt. So as time has gone on, how have you been come to terms with that to be able to really express it clearly to people right. so they understand? Right. I mean, there's a dichotomy with my perspective and others' perspectives. And I think in my head privately with what I saw, it doesn't do justice. But when other people hear me, they're able to understand it more. And I have a feeling that people listen to myself and near-death experiencers because what we're saying creates an invocation of a memory that they may have. 
that they remember their life beyond this body. And so our words invoke a lot of degree of memory. And the key is to not uh, monopolize or hold on to the experience, but to let it go and to have it a part of someone else's life that they could build on and see in themselves. Uh, but you know, the, you make a point that it took some time. My father just told me recently that I came up to him, and you know, after I was rushed by the ambulance to the hospital, and I said, "Dad," and I'm using my language right now. It's hard to speak as a three-year-old, but Dad, you know, something happened on that day. One day, you'll understand, but right now, you won't. It won't make sense to you what I experienced on that day. And you know, now he's more understanding. You know, and so. On a soul level, I fully understood, but to be able to use the human body in this vehicle of expression, you know, that's a, it's, it's limited, uh, but it's what we have to offer and making the most of it here in our reality. And I try to do everything I can to use this instrument the best that I can. Right. Just finding the language, right, or the words yeah. to describe something that sounds to me absolutely indescribable that... Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know how I would. I would be able to relay that kind of information. That's for sure. Um, you, also, you also talk about remembering our true nature—that we are not our bodies. And when you discovered that, everything kind of changed. That we're just not these meat vessels or yeah. meat suits. You know, whatever analogy. People have right. different names. You know. So, what was that realization like for you? We're not our bodies. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, the way that I try to see things is two things could be true at the same time, but there's an ultimate truth. So yes, we're not our bodies, but in this reality, we have one. And so really the best way to access the spirit realm is to have radical acceptance, awareness of what we are, uh, but also acceptance that we have this. And it's significant to have respect to make the most of these bodies, but not be defined by it, you know? Uh, seeing ourselves as more than that. And if we could do that, we could start to see others as more than just the differences of the surface that uh, is representative. Uh, so, But it was very challenging to all of a sudden have you know, a reality that I was put into and all of a sudden just totally being able to see translucently through it, transparently through it, uh, and having degree of just acceptance that I may not see it this way, but this is the world sees it. And so either I could keep on, my, keep on hitting my head against the wall or I could understand, yes, I know this privately, but I have to go on in radical acceptance of what is. Right. When I was reading that, it made me think of the story in the Ram Dass book, Be Here Now. And I love Ram Dass, and you mentioned him a couple of times in the book. So I think he was probably an influence on you as well as me and, and millions of other people. And, and he describes, I mean, it was during an LSD experience, but how he kind of felt his body evaporating and disappearing. And, mm-hmm. and then he would start to panic, like, oh, I need my legs. Well, maybe not. You know, I, my rest of my body's disappearing, maybe not. But he was still himself. And then the last, the last thought was like, well, who's minding the store? And then that's kind of when he got the concept of, he was still here, his consciousness was still here, and he didn't need his body, he was still who he was, Yeah, I guess. Have you ever read that story? I'm a, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Ramdas because I listen to him all the time. <laughs> I have a I family member of mine who was a close student of his. Um, you know, So I love himself, his teachings. Certainly we have a lot of cultural similarities being both of the Jewish faith. I know he was formerly Richard Alpert. Yes. You know, and he, you know, so just 
our backgrounds have at some degree similarity, but um, I love the concept that he was about be here now. You know, it's just kind of what you think of him in his book, just the beauty of presence. Um, he spoke a lot about karma and how you want to be aware to not have karma run you, rather you really take ownership of karma and ownership of your life and um, stuff like that. So he, he was an amazing beacon, an amazing teacher. Uh, but I, I think the the crux of a lot of my work is 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 to have the dual understanding that yes, you have a body, but you're not a body, and with that, there could be a floodgate of openings for people, particularly in areas of grief. You know, and I work very closely on an organizational level with places like the Forever Family Foundation and helping parents heal. And what I try to do is to to create a different um, set of labels of that box that we identify our loved one in. And when you could visualize your loved one beyond six feet under the ground or the ashes and see them as eternal and beyond the body, you know, that could really help out with how you're able to process loss, grief, and more importantly, empowership of your own continual dynamic with that being. So I think it does help with those who have experienced loss or maybe fearful of death to just have the awareness that we go on beyond this body and this body isn't who we are in the full extent that we're more than just a body and we go on beyond it. And your death experiencers are very affirmative and validating of that notion. Oh, absolutely. We're limitless beings. I've, I've told this, this story before I think on the podcast, if anybody's a regular listener, which I hope a few people are at least, but a, a good friend of mine uh, for a long time ran a crematory and she had a crematory business. And I would, you know, I visited her there many times. And I think we're so far removed from death and the, and the whole death process. A lot of people have never seen someone who's actually passed, seen what the body looks like. But to me, the existence of, of a soul and a soul consciousness just became so much clearer when I saw that the body is just a shell. And when you saw, people that had passed, it, it became so clear that they weren't that anymore. You <sighs> know, that that was just their covering for this incarnation or, or whatever they were, you know, during this lifetime. And it just seems so obvious to me that the, the soul, you know, the essence, the spark was gone. And what was left is just like a carbon-based form that became ash, you know. So it, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of a gruesome, some people may say it, it was kind of a gruesome experience, but to me, it was so life affirming that I, I found it really comforting to be able to see that. But I think a lot of people don't get that experience and it was really right. impactful to me. You know, when you go in a cooler and you see people stacked just kind of like wood and you realize that that is the great equalizer in life, no matter what you are, you could be a king. Uh, whatever, you're still going to end up in that cardboard box. You know what I mean? No matter what. It it was pretty impactful, that the whole experience to me. It's true. No matter what status or um, echelon of pedestal you have, there's right. no one who's come out and lived in eternity in this body. You know, we all eventually go there. So no one's defeated that. But people like near-death experiencers come out of the woodworks to remind people of the eternity that we have, despite... Uh, you know, our, our physical passing. Um, I think it also could help out people with ego strengthening because 
there's a lot of associations with our body and our self-worth and the way that the world looks at us. And sometimes we'll get into certain phases of our life where we may be older or younger, whatever it is, and just not love ourselves and just be self-critical. And, you know, I think part of this is learning how to love ourselves unconditionally, but to see, hey, you know, we're all this beautiful essence. We're all one and the same, despite the differences on the surface that some may say, oh, that person is, you know, a little bit more God glitz than the other. We all have that same glitz. And when you remember that, it really shines from within and people could pick up on it and it's radiant, you know, so you could have people who aesthetically look great, but if they're not connected, it's not a beautiful light, but people who, you know, have a bright light, that's what people will see and remember at the end of the day. So I think that's, that's where something that I'm trying to keep in mind is I'm getting older and some of the wheels are falling off physically, you know, every, but I, I never felt younger by connecting to spirit and my ultimate source. Cause I know that's a timeless place. You know, right? It's and it. You're right. It's such a great reminder, and especially as as you get older and the effects of age uh, affect everyone. You know, there's there's nothing no. you can do. I mean, I keep trying to hide this gray patch coming in. No, what are you, uh, and, and now <laughs> I, don't, I don't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> should I just kind of go with it and do the Cruella Deville thing and just like the all natural, it? right? Yeah. Right. Just go all natural. I'm still I'm still fighting that, but I guess we all we all kind of come right. to that point. Um, another thing that you mentioned in the book that I thought was interesting was you say you're confused when people talk about life purpose, mm. where people seem to think, you know, what is my life purpose? And I, I noticed this during my Hay House days where so many people that called Hay House radio shows or even Unity radio shows right. when I was working with um, the Unity host, they wanted someone else to tell them what is my life purpose. And wow. I always thought, how can someone else tell you that? I, I get there. I get there's people that can help you discover it or right. can help you along the path and, and they're, and they're wonderful teachers, but I think it's confusing too, right? When people talk about life purpose, what do you think about that? Well, it's a very big question because I think so much of our worth is valued in our doing. I always say we're not a human doing, we're a human being. And the value of our essence is within our own being. So, so many get caught up in the ego with purpose and saying, hey, if I have this many subscribers or if I have these amount of cars or this, these houses or these husbands or these, whatever it is, you know, then I made my purpose. But, you know, that, that's a midlife crisis right there because it is. the midlife crisis is society has ascribed a certain set of standards of happiness and you checked off every box and you still felt unfilled, unfulfilled, you know, and I see that all the time I practice. And so I think what the spirit realm wants us to remind us is it's not so much about the doing, but our being that's our purpose of, you know, of existence and connecting to that deep inner spiritual being and being a full thread, a full expression of who we are, remembering who we are, you know, and I think our purpose is just to remember who we are and to personify that in our everyday life. Um, I always reference this movie, but some you know, filmed without giving it away, they may try indirectly or directly to have a spiritual metaphysical message. This movie, I think they consulted with near-death experience researchers from my understanding. So there is a little bit of that, but there's a Pixar movie called Soul, S-O-U-L. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but to me, I was just like, I was like a waterworks when I saw it, but without giving the movie away, it it represents, you know, the ego and how Wayne Dyer would speak of the morning of the life that Carl Jung would speak about and just chasing the goals and the accolades and all that stuff. And then getting up to the top of the mountain and not feeling fulfilled, you know, or just the being, which is just 
that gentle breeze of your life being in the physical and you know the fall leaf falling down you know here in the northeast where i am and just the the beauty and the miraculousness of being alive you know despite everything going around you being able to see the seek being the beauty seeker that we are in the divine essence and it's challenging especially now with everything going on you know with our interview uh but we all have to find ways to reset and pivot and i know myself i've been tremendously affected as a human being with everything going on as an empath and sometimes when we get off track and we're not perfect we say oh my god i'm not spiritual i'm going to give up on myself say can't do this can't do that but it's about the awareness and the ability to have a pivot and a reset we all are human and we all you know could get off kiltered and find ways to reset is is crucial with especially within our time and self-forgiveness is big too Absolutely. And I want to touch on that a little bit because, you know, as, as we're talking right now, we're all, the world is watching the horrific events that are unfolding yes. in Israel and you have ties with Israel. Um, you had mentioned that you had lived there for a while. And I think we're all just so shocked and, and horrified of, you know, man's inhumanity to man. I mean, it's kind of the story as old as time, you know, when are we ever going to learn this lesson you know, the eye for an eye just doesn't work. And the the killing of, of one is the, you know, the retribution and it's just so, so we're having a hard time. I mean, I've, I've been up at night thinking about it, you know, what kind of God would let something like this happen. And then, you know, all the other stuff comes in your head. Well, it's humans free will and all that. And yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, maybe you could comment on how you've been personally able to try to process this or yeah i mean you know i i sometimes wish there was a more of a proactive interventive role that this god that we have could just kind of take when things are so out of line sometimes in the new age you know that proactive involved role you know isn't there and it almost feels like we have an aloof god who's not present at all and just lets holocaust happens genocides happen you know this happened and we, we say to ourselves what is the difference of now? You know, we, we lose faith and trust in God, but you know, it's just kind of the analogy, like for us to kind of figure it out, we have to really be the ones, you know, connected to the divine, connected to God, you know, connected to truth. And when we forget that our actions reflect that, and there's, there is free will that, that is not taken away from us. And so this earth really is a school and there, the good news is I think there's so many more people, you know, who have aligned themselves against these atrocities and, and, and seeing past through it. And my hope is through looking at the crux of evil that people could remember who they are. You know, I think by rem- by looking through the nightmare, you can mem- remember the dream. And I think right now we're looking at a nightmare and much like my near-death experience, my hope is that people could not align themselves with the nightmare, but be able to remember the dream that we're all connected to, we're all a part of. And um, I think people just need to remember. But what's important is to not uh, give up on humanity and not to say, hey, what's the point? You know, a couple of people will just outweigh all the good that we do. But I, I, I believe that there's a lot more good than evil out there. And people are waking up and understanding, you know, a lot of these higher spiritual principles. And so we have a lot more of a force field of light that will overtake dark, you know, it may not happen tomorrow or a couple months, but eventually light always wins. And I'm living proof of that as a near-death experiencer. And I experienced the abyss of 
this life as we know it as death. And here to tell you that it's a, it's, it's a real fiction in many ways, you know, that we cannot die in the broader sphere. Uh, but I think people hopefully could look at this darkness and see the light behind it. And it could cause more of a understanding of who we are ver- by understanding what we're not, you know? Right. Well, you're, your take is certainly a lot more hopeful than I've been lately. So thank you right. for sharing that. I mean, yeah. I wanted to try to understand, you know, how the, how these kind of atrocities can happen, how this can happen. You know, we've seen it over and over with, you know, what happened in Rwanda and, and like you mentioned in the Holocaust and there's probably several other genocides that I'm, I'm not even remembering at, at this right. moment. And so it really does make you question um, you know, are we, are we really one, you know, is there that divine oneness and is God in all of us? It's, it's made me question those things. And that was something I wanted to bring up to you too, where, so I'm really interested in family dynamics and how, how those things work. Cause I'm the oldest of three. I have a sister and brother and my, my beliefs and, and, ideas about spirituality are, are much different from theirs, you know, and, and I was brought up, you know, kind of similar from what I read of your experience, you know, we, we went to church and everything. And so I was brought up with an idea that I was a horrible sinner to begin with. And God could be a judgmental presence as well as a loving presence, but, but certainly something to be feared overall. Right. And then, like, and then there was no such thing as reincarnation. You know, that was never discussed really in in the Catholic church or the possibility of that. So I saw that there was that separation, but then as I got older, like that never felt right to me that even when I was younger, that never felt authentic. Like I didn't think that God was really like that. So I would always have these questions. Like I would ask the nuns questions and, you know, I got very responses with that, but I guess I came to believe. So now, like, I really feel what's authentic to me is that we are all part of this one, you know, vast Mm -hmm. source of love and that it's, it's more of a oneness and there's not that separation. Mm. So sometimes like when I go home and visit my family around the holidays, I feel kind of a little separated from some of the things that, that they, they believe, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, how did you deal with that or how did you kind of navigate that? Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and I thank you for sharing your background and some of the sym- symmetry with that dichotomy of growing up, you know, just kind of questioning or not feeling congruent with your environment. And then all of a sudden sitting at a dinner table or you know, their Thanksgiving table, all of a sudden just being kumbaya. Right. You know, it, uh, <laughs> it's hard when people try to have a monopolization of God through religion. And they will see things as very unidimensional. And God and life is multidimensional. It's unidimensional in its you know, organic uh, source of being love 
unconditional love, but the paths up to the mountain are are different. We all have different ways to connect to that and express that. And I think it's about being an old soul, maybe in a younger soul family where, and uh, I don't do this all the time, but I try to ascribe to this where the old soul will understand that everyone has their own way of unfolding, like, you know, like a, like a wave onto the ocean. You know, each person is their own expression in this life and they have own their own radiance, their own uh, experience. And you just have to allow that person to learn and evolve, you know, and, and, and grow. But what's hard is when you are chronologically around the same ages as your siblings or even your parents, and you just feel thousands of years older, it's, it's a very awkward position to be in. And so um, what I've learned as a therapist and in my own life is the greatest way to really succeed is to have a flexibility of approach or attitude. And recognizing the factors that we can't control and can't, you know, how, who, who people are, you know, we can't control. And the degree that we can't control is the involvement, you know, perhaps, or how we engage, you know, in a way, but we can't change or control. And we have to use what they're trying to do with changing, controlling, and act the exact opposite. We're just saying, be who you are, you know, come as you are. As long as it's not ill-willed or evil or, you know, stuff like, like that. Hurting people. Yeah. Obviously, you have to have the human part and use defense. Like everyone's talking about love, love, love. Well, someone's coming after you. You know, you have to defend. So you have to be practical too with things. So, yeah. No, that's interesting. It's it's true. I mean, I have tried to be a lot more, um, you know, it, it, radical acceptance, like you said, and and loving acceptance. And you know, some sometimes that's hard. But I think you're right. Like I think. God or, or source is so much bigger than just one story. You know, yeah. there, there can't just be one answer yeah, for everybody. You know, it just, that just makes no sense. I don't think the universe or, or, or God is that small. I think yeah, it's no, bigger absolutely. than that. And I found that throughout my life when I'm well-connected energetically and I just feel a flow of energy and I'm in a good place, I'm able to see the world much differently. I don't know if you feel that way or you just feel very connected. And I'll, I call that the God lens where you're connected to your divinity and you just, and some things they take maybe, maybe years to find that spark, but with certain people, you're able to kind of see their higher selves and the, and the best parts of them. And, you know, letting go of that you know, frustration or anger is, 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 is easier. Uh, but some, takes a lot of work. Uh, some are not a lot harder than it others. Does. We've all had those, you know? <laughs> so but, as someone who had like a really intense experience at a young age and you have, I'm sure you've had clients, you know, maybe younger people or parents of, of younger of kids who have had, you know, mm-hmm. experiences they can't explain that kind of thing. Cause there were things that I experienced when I was younger that were, I guess, odd or weird that I didn't really talk about things I saw and, and heard, um, you know, nothing like to my physical person, I guess. How, now, now I'm like walking myself into a quarter. I'll have to explain what it is, but just like, you know, here I would hear things or see something that was, you know, questionable or, or scared me that I didn't want to say to anybody. So I didn't. Right. <laughs> so what, what do you say to parents of children, I guess, who have had incredible experiences like yours and they don't know how to handle it or an incredible spiritual experience. And, yeah. and the parents don't know how to deal with it. 
what what do you what do you say to them? I think we have a word in our English language called understand. And look at the word understand. So it really means standing under someone, looking up at them without as much judgment and projection of your own self of that person. I think the fault of parents is many there's a lot of narcissism involved in parenting for not all, but, but a lot where they want self replicas of themselves and their worldviews. When something's a little bit outside of their uh, temperament or how they're made up, you know, a lot of parents struggle to accept that this is mine. And we, what parents need to understand is your kids, uh, you know, yes, they come through you, but not from you, you know, they're, they're eternal souls, you know, they chose you. Sure, there's a deep tie, you know, but they're not really um, spiritually kids. They're chronological kids, but they're not spiritual kids. And so I think what's important is to have that two, th- that two things could be true at the same time mentality. Yes, my kid is an infant and I could look at him or her that way, but also at times trying to test ourselves to see the spirit in my child and to see, you know, this as a budding flower. And my job is to allow that to blossom, not to get in the way of it. Um, you know, and they have a lot more clarity spiritually, you know, in many ways, they're a lot older than some of the most, uh, you know, you know, aged population who may forget this stuff. So in, in many ways, they're the old and we're the young. Yes, yeah. that's so interesting. It's got to be a challenge. I mean, I don't, I don't have kids. Right. I was a kid, so remember that experience. But I, right, right. I see. We, we you know, were born my... with microphones in our hand, and just <laughs> we just came on this podcast right now, and that's that's how we descended from matter right here in this moment. There that's right, no just poof, poof yeah. you know, and that's it. That's what happened. Yeah. But I, I watched my sister kind of struggle with this, you know, with my nephew and and wanting the the best for him, or mm. you know, friends like I have a a friend, a girl I I grew up with who's whose daughter confided in her that she thought that she might be gay. And she's like, well, we don't believe that in this family. And, you know, kind of shutting that down without letting the, the daughter express, you know, how she felt. And I just thought that was sad. I mean, I would never interfere with that kind of exchange between a a parent and a child, but I thought how sad for the daughter who's probably confused and not sure, or, you know, what's going on with that experience and wanting to talk to her, her mother about it and kind of getting shut down you know, like, we don't believe in that. Well, it's not really for you to believe it's happening. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a uh, fact. So anyway, that now, now I would get off on that whole other subject, but. Um, I, I see that all the time. I practice. And it's just amazing. It's not religion when you reject someone for who they are, you know, it's, it's hate and judgment. That's not religion. That's not God. And, you know, I, my heart goes out to all those kids who just feel very disenfranchised from their own parents and rejected. I mean, could you imagine being in a home and just by who you are, as Lady Gaga would say, being born this way, you're not accepted. You're not good enough. I, I can't imagine. It's no wonder why we have such a big mental health crisis. And I work in the field of mental health in the most, um, um, the largest hospital conglomerate in the United States in the psychiatric, you know, um, you know, facility. And it's it saddens to it saddens me to see that the crisis going on, but. I think a lot of this ripples down from the top down, you know, in many ways. And it's kind of like government. When you have stable branches of government, the people will follow suit with parents from those stable branches of parenting. 
you know, the kids will feel safe many times and they'll be able to express themselves. And so that's a whole other conversation to play, but right. family dynamic is so crucial, you know, in one's trajectory. And certainly no one's perfect. We're all learners, but, you know, we could all do better, you know, to, for our kids. I think so. I think so. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you just a little bit about your past life regression work, because I'm fascinated by that whole thing. I've read so many books about past life regression work. You know, I had worked with Dr. Brian Weiss, um, you know, years ago and experienced a regression with him. It was a group regression, Mm -hmm. but it was pretty powerful. So I have my own, you know, views on, on what that could be. I mean, do you take people through a past life regression? Have you done that? All the time. I mean, I just got back yesterday from doing one, you know, in Connecticut, I traveled to another state and did a group regression, but I I think people take themselves back, you know, that the memories are there. I'm not driving the car, you know, it's a form of hypnosis, you know, and within hypnotherapy, we know that we have a subconscious mind and past life regression works, you know, no different than like an age regression that I do where clients are able to go back to a point of origin with a pathology or something they may be struggling, for instance, you know, cigarette cessation, I do weight loss, confidence, you know, trauma, stuff like that. And they're able to go to that point of origin. And I treat it you no know, differently than medical. You know, for instance, you have something going on medically, you go right to the point, you know, that that it may be infected or whatever that is. And so past life regression, you know, really believes that we have a brain-mind dichotomy much like near-death experience where, yes, we have a brain, but we have a mind that, you know, has memories of thousands of years far beyond this, you know, chronological development of the brain and its memory, you know, so we're able to really tap into that. People are able to tap into the higher mind. I think the beauty of it is um, the gifts that people could come with it, which often is intuition. You know, people have a lot of mediumistic explosions after doing it, and I certainly don't have a guarantee on that. But most importantly, awareness of oneself, who they are, why you know why they're here, what are some of their gifts. But even more important, the notion that we cannot die, that we go on. And so within passive regressions, that belief is turned into a clear knowing when people are able to see themselves going in and out of lifetimes, knowing consciousness survives, you know, they they go on beyond this body. So it's it's an awesome experience. And I'm I'm like, and I'm a student of my near-death experience just as much as I'm a student of passive regression therapy. I'm still learning about it, and it's fascinating. I think it's uh, it's really amazing. And what you're describing, being able to give people that, um, you know, the what's the word, the acceptance or the knowing, and taking right. away the fear of death, which so many of us have especially in the West, I think if you're brought up maybe more of an Eastern tradition, you might not have so much anxiety around that. But I I think it's pretty amazing the healing that can come from having those kinds of experiences. And I'd I'd like to do it again to have someone, you know, maybe I can really reach some some incredible memories. But I I do think I'm an old soul in the scheme of things. So Mm -hmm. maybe if I could tap into something really, uh, really ancient would be, would be pretty amazing. I don't know. Maybe that'll happen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I work, I work with people's guides too. You know, when I, when I do work in my regression and I, yes, I'm trained in traditional hypnosis, but past life regression, you know, is a little less traditional, 
you know, so we do work with celestial beings, guides. What's important is you will go back to a life that you were meant to visit and trusting the guides to take you back to that life that's most um, symmetrical with the current uh, circumstance that you're in. As we say, you know, messages are repeated until some of those lessons are embraced. And so I think we're, you know, you're going to be pointed to, you know, a point of a life that is most uh, symmetrical in this life that could help you to move the needle of your life. I like that you mentioned guides. And in the book, you talk about the illusion of loneliness. And I think it would be so great if we all could accept or realize that we do have you know, help and, and guidance around us. And no. I'm sure you saw this study or maybe you read it, um, it was in the news recently about the Surgeon General um, raising the alarm about the epidemic of loneliness in this country. You know, yeah. it's causing real health, mental health and physical issues with people because we are so isolated and a lot of people are alone a lot. And yeah. I think maybe if there was more of an awareness or an acceptance of a, a spirit guide or you know, maybe an angel or something like that. I mean, do you think that as a, as a mental health professional, do people raise an eyebrow or kind of roll their eyes? If you mention a spirit guide, like if you're at a party with a bunch of psychotherapists, what what's the uh, reaction? They might. I mean, I've been surprised. I was recently in my office and I had one of the executive directors, you know, at my job, I don't, I'm not going to say names, you know, but one of the <laughs> higher ups, come into my office and he said, you're Jacob Cooper. And I go, you're so-and-so. And I was just shivering in my pants because he said, oh, I've heard about you. You've written two books. You have a YouTube channel. I'm like, oh God. And he's like, why don't you incorporate more of this in your work? And so I, I was just, to me, I was like, I thought this guy's going to fire me on the spot, go to the board of licensure, lose my license. So, I mean, I, I think the jo- some of the jobs itself and some of the uh, higher ups are, are are really opening up to this, you know. Certainly, with the higher gubernatorial body of licensure stuff, you have to be careful. Uh, what I would say is, uh, ther- psychotherapy is certainly opening itself up to a lot of Eastern belief systems. I mean, mindfulness is a key component within a many uh, you know modalities of psychotherapy. Um, so they're starting. You know, but it's like hitting up an ocean. It takes time. You're not going to just go from freezing waters to just, but it, we're getting there. And when I meet a client, you know, the first thing on in the intake assessment is asking someone's spirituality or religious belief systems, because belief is really everything. What you believe about God has such an influence in your conduct and your behavior. If God is your God, then you'll see a monopolization on God, and you'll try to do everything you can to eradicate everyone that doesn't, uh, that isn't of that pedestal. But if you see God as our God, you do everything you can to unify, you know, each person to that God. So, the, right. you know, it's hard to say what comes first, the apple or, you know, the, the whatever, but um, the chicken or the egg, but the behavioral relationship with our spiritual outlook and our conduct is so um, significantly close in ties. Yeah. That's such an that's an interesting perspective. What if you get an atheist? Because I can certainly understand where people yeah. go go that route. You know, yeah. You know, a key tenet of good psychotherapeutic practice is to meet people where they're at. You know, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a prophet. I'm not. You know, I'm just a dude. I'm just a guy. And 
I, I think the, the good part about being a therapist is it's kind of like you're almost like a paid Buddhist, like you're in a monastery and you're using mindfulness, you're being the observer and just meeting people where they're at. And at times that sounds a lot easier than it is. You know, some people can really create triggers and challenge and be defiant. And so that's why having a good supervisor as well as a good therapist, you know, I, I see my own therapist to work out some of my own transference and that allows me just to be a clearer vessel to help out you know, people who come into my office. Well, I know you're helping a lot of people with the work that you're doing. And I really love the book. Like I could probably talk to you for hours about this kind of stuff because I'm, <laughs> well, I'm a seeker myself. I'm always looking for, uh, you know, information, things to help things make sense to me and <laughs> sure. what I see in, in my world. So I definitely recommend that people check out your latest book, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. And can you share with the listeners, you know, what are you working on right now? And if you'd like to send them to your website, if they can check you out and give you, give you sure. a chance to plug. Well, right you now, like um, you know, my goal is really like yourself to reach as many souls as we can, because as the song says, what the world needs, you know, the world needs love right now. And that's right. what's needed. And I know you and your network are all, um, just just ambassadors and, and beacons of love. And that's what it's all about. That isn't saying that we need to just thrive, but but also to survive. We're dependent on, on love for this planet to go around. And so I have my own platform called the Wisdom Jacob's Ladder, and I have my own videos and you know, interviews and stuff like that. So people could check out, you know, that platform, um, just brewing, you know, the wood burning about book three and finding you know, a new creative outlet to reach people, help people. Uh, but for now, I'm taking a bit of a break. I'm doing a lot of self-care. I'm, you know, just really tr trying to do that. And I think that's important is for people to uh, take care of themselves. You know, the winds are very strong right now in the outer world. And I think it's important to be gentle on yourself and use all those great tools that you have. And if you don't have, you know, please come to me through jacobalcooper.com. We'll help you, you know, get some of those, you know, mind, body, spirit, tech, you know, tools. And so. make sure you go to jacoblcooper.com. Yeah. You just do Jacob Cooper. I think there's an, a musician or another guy. With I have name. to get more famous <laughs> to get uh, domain of Jacob Cooper. I'm not there yet. That's my aspirate, but Jacob L. Cooper. And L I love because that um, is, is my Hebrew name. It's it's Lieb, which means uh, Lionheart. You know, not lying heart, but a heart of a lion. Lion. And, uh, you know, I, I rule my life from my heart. I, I do. And, uh so that's where I'm about. And that's what the world needs to do. We need to really come from the heart. You know, Absolutely. And, and if you're listening to this, you know, recently or in, in the, I don't know, in the next couple of months, I mean, just kind of watching what's unfolding. And, and like you said, be gentle on yourself. Like you're trying to be, if you're more of an empath, if you tend to really feel things, I mean, I've spent a couple of nights staring at the ceiling and just feeling very discombobulated and sad and you know, my heart breaks for what I'm hearing about right now. I mean, do you, do you still feel pretty hopeful, you know, going into the next few months and beginning of next year? And It's going to take some time, you know, for that circumstance. But I think it's important for people to obviously be informed by not enslaved, you know, and we have our life in front of us. Tomorrow is not a guarantee. And I'm living proof of that. And we just have to have a balance where yes, we don't want to, you don't want to turn away because that will lead to this. We want to be aware of the 
atrocities at hands, and we have to be able to generate the hope past the pain. I think that's more important. And we do that by really tapping into love, our heart center, you know, all the beauty around us and do that. Amazing things can happen. But I think when people are connected, you know, how could you ever be alone? And when you love this person that you're living with, you can't be alone either. So a lot of this comes back to self-love and expanding that energy and those that's needed now more than ever for each person to have ripple effect on the collective healing that needs to take place. Right. So true. Such a beautiful sentiment. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing the book, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, your site, jacoblcooper.com. And thank you all for listening and, and hanging out with me today for the podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a review. I would love that. And if you haven't downloaded the free mindbodyspirit.fm mobile app, make sure you do that in the app store for Apple or Android. And you can leave a message or comment for any of our podcasters on the open mic feature. So check that out. You could leave me a message if you like. And make sure you give a listen to all of the wonderful podcasters we have on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.